Okay, we're back. Screen heat. Screen heating it up. Woo, there was a lot of heat. Oh, this weekend was fire. Man. Man, we're going to get into all that stuff. But yeah, Super Bowl live. J-Lo. Shakira. J Balvin. Burning it. Bat Bunny. Burning it. Everybody on fire. Burning it. Pitbull opening up the event. Hard Rock commercials. 305. Demi Lovato doing the Star Spangled Banner, which they say was the best rendition since... Mark Anthony. No. Mark (laughs) Anthony. Come on, man. We're talking about Miami. Come on. Whitney Houston had the greatest all-time Spangled Banner. And, And But this apparently came close. It... That's what people are saying. Kind of. I mean, look, there's there's things and there's things. But yeah. A lot of Latina no, she, no, representation. Was great. Yeah. yeah. Demi so Lovato was amazing. She's great. She was fantastic. Uh, but we are Screen Heat Miami. I am Kevin Sharpley. I'm JL Martinez. And our sponsors are Kajik Multimedia. Cinevision. All right, good. Miami Medium Film Market. And Camacol. Let's roll this. Let's roll on it. So, a lot of stuff, a lot of hot topics. Uh, okay, who's our guest today, Our Kevin? guest is Max Weiler. Very good. But we have a special guest. We do have a special guest in the intro, ladies and gentlemen. In so, the house, Sean yes. Gold. Opening the show for we, the main event. We got the gold man. <laughs> the gold standard. Bricks. Yeah, man. He's going to drop some bricks. Oh, he is. He is. So, but, let's, let's build this house. Yes. It's built this house with a Miami standard. Yes, the Miami Film Festival just announced its 37th edition. There which is a big, big part of that edition. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, there is. A big fire. There's a big fire, and that has to do with the locally made films this year, which there is some amazing movies that have been accepted this year, all locally made. We touched on last year's 36th edition where they had, I think it was 36 features and shorts that were all Miami-based stories or filmmakers. That's right. Uh, but in the feature category this year, there are 12 of them competing for the high stakes, which is the Knight Foundation's Made in Mia Awards. Yes. And one of those happens to be a film that was produced by Mr. J.L. Martinez. Yes, I am a little closer to one. In uh, all, <laughs> in all fairness, I am a little closer to one of the films than the others. Uh, I did produce Marcus, directed by J.R. Poli, which is part of that exclusive twelve feature film club. Yes. Uh, so we're very excited. Yeah, and I have to say that I know a lot of the filmmakers that have films in that category and in the festival, and this is going to be a highly competitive year. Oh yeah. I mean, the fact that the closing night film, we've talked about this film in terms of Sundance, which we're going to get to in a second. Mucho, mucho amor, the story of Walter Mercado. Kareem Tapsch. Yes, co-directed this film and uh, from all I've been seeing from Sundance and the reviews, it is spectacular. Yes. So it's a beautiful movie to close the festival. Honored to be in the same category as them. So yeah, it's just, it's a tremendous, uh, why don't we just go down the list of all the films that are included just in this category. I mean, there's a 125 features, right? Yeah. Uh, plus the short film. So it's a mega festival. It runs for 10 days starting March 6th. But, uh, but particularly in this category, uh, we have quite a number of interesting movies. Arifa, 
which is uh, based on a true story about the graffiti artist who was unfortunately tasered to death by uh, South Beach police officers. And so they're bringing that story to life as a feature. So that's included in the lineup as well. Uh, there's a few other films here that we want to get into. Us Kids as well. Um, and then there are also When Liberty Burns, Chateau Vato. I think I'm saying that right. That's right. Uh, the Definition of Insanity, The Last Rafter, Listen, Listen. Uh, Michael Tilson Thomas Where's Now Paper Children They Call Me Dr. Miami and of course uh, the film that I'm involved in which we're very excited about and we'll be talking a lot more of is uh, Marcus yeah yeah, so there is another feature that's going to happen at the Miami Film Festival. If you go back and listen, you'll hear Gregory Allen Howard. That's our podcast number 20, mm-hmm. Gregory Allen Howard. I have a conversation with Gregory Allen Howard at the Miami Film Festival. It's also a masterclass, so he'll be giving advice. Greg produced, wrote, Harriet wrote, remember the titans he's had a long storied career so that is something you will want to come out for and listen to what greg has to say oh yes i remember that that they are in the oscars this year they're in two categories right cynthia rivo he predicted cynthia rivo for best actress and for best song and she is She's in the running. In the house. Yes. For Best Actress and Best Song. Oh, yeah. So the Miami Film Festival, that's MiamiFilmFestival.com. Check it out. You'll want to come out for that. Yeah. Moving on. Sundance. Sundance. The big winners. Yes. Well, let's first talk about the sales, because that's really what it is, is distribution. Uh, Well, mucho, mucho amor. We can kind of start with that. It's already going to be on Netflix. It is. It's sold. Yeah, it was picked up by Netflix. I think that even happened right before the festival, Uh, but it just kind of tied right into the whole Sundance thing. But yes, mucho, mucho amor will be on Netflix, I think, starting in June. Mm -hmm. Uh, So after they have their festival run now, which obviously now we know includes Miami as well, uh, which makes sense since Walter Mercado was not only a, a nationally, internationally recognized Hispanic or Latino icon, Icon, but such an icon in the Miami community as well. Yep. Uh, and run that list really quick of the big winners of Sundance. So here we go. So in terms of what I was saying, distribution, the highest selling film ever at Sundance by 69 cents, which I'm sure was purposely done, <laughs> uh, was bought by the distri- distributor Neon and Hulu for a film Palm Springs. There were two $12 million sales for In the Night House, which was Searchlight, formerly Fox Searchlight, and Uncle Frank, which Amazon bought for a cool 12 mil. Ah, so not bad. Yeah. Uh, and so then in terms of the the another interesting note, we'll get into that. But Tabitha Jackson was named the new director of the festival. Yeah, that's right. And she's been with the festival for a while. She was head of the documentary program and moving forward. And docs have become more important now. It's like the golden oh, yeah. age of documentaries. Docs so, are huge. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a that's a big up for her. Yeah, for sure. So the big winner was Lee Isaac Chung's Minari, uh, which took both the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award in the U.S. Dramatic Competition. It's uh, it's based on Chung's real life, following a Korean-American family that moves from L.A. to Arkansas to chase the American dream. You figure it'd be the other way around, right? Uh, well, you never know. Maybe you never know in these days. There's a good chunk of the American dream in Arkansas. Yeah, so yeah. I that's... heard an uh, an interview with him on NPR. Oh yeah, and he's actually really funny. He's wow. really funny. But you know I, what I love is that this has been a year of diverse selections. Mm. Right. I mean, you have Parasite. 
that yeah. one big at the Globes. Totally. And here you have Sundance. Yeah. So. Doing the dance. So let's see the other films that managed to take top awards. Birth, uh, well, oh, sorry, no, that was previous. The previous winner in 2017, Birth of a Nation. And <laughs> yeah. Then, uh, Me and Earl and the Dying Girl in 2015. So anyway, uh, Jerry Rothwell's documentary, The Reason I Jump, uh, took home the World Cinema Documentary Audience Award, award and Heidi Ewing's I Carry You With Me, uh, which was the next section's audience winner, uh, which took the two top prizes. And then, of course, a former president. President winning. That's right. Barack Obama <laughs> and Michelle Obama. Yes. Two producers on this film. Yes. Don't forget Michelle's capacity. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there were other producers. I mean, but they were so the producers. Let's say it this way. Michelle and Barack Obama, producers of Crip Camp, which is a Netflix documentary, yeah. uh, took home the Audience Award in the U.S. documentary section. Nice. Imagine being up against the president of the United States. <laughs> you already lost. <laughs> you already lost. Even wow. if you win. <laughs> yeah, that's that's some big time competition yeah. for sure. Oh, my film made it into Sundance. We're in competition against the president, the former president of the United States. I think you know you're still considered president, though. We I still mean, say president. You yeah, still say president. I think that that's a, like a lifetime <laughs> lifetime achievement. If award. there's if, yeah, if there's anything <laughs> that you carry with you for your life, it's Mr. President for the rest Mr. of your president. life. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. So there you go. Yep. So I want to talk about other hits. Okay. We're going to take it back to Super Bowl. Okay. Commercials. Oh, yes. What's your favorite? Well, I didn't see a whole lot of them. I really liked the uh, the whole little nod to uh, uh, to Groundhog Day. I that, was that was great. Fun. Bill Murray. Very cinematic. Uh, yes. And then, of course, in terms of the homegrown talent, there was a huge sponsorship this year by not only the namesake of the stadium, Hard Rock, but uh, a gigantic, ginormous, epic Michael Bay commercial promoting their new hotel. Well, we have to say that's our favorite because we are Screen Heat Miami. That's right. And even though they're in Broward, we'll give them a pass. A lot of people from my Miami so here know flow. that that Broward so County flow. line, man. But yes, you're right. So flow. So it is our our people. You know, Mr. 305 was in it. Jennifer Lopez. I mean, just a star-studded cast of all the Miami celebrities. Yeah. Uh, DJ yeah. Khaled. Jeez. Stevie Van Zandt. Steve Van Zandt. Miami right. Steve. Miami Steve now. Used That's to be like, New Jersey Steve. No, he's Miami Steve, man. He's always been Miami Steve. <laughs> now he's Miami Steve. I had a great brunch with him. Did you? Up in New York. Yeah. That must have been fun. <sighs> Three and a half hours. We're going to have to get into that story. It's going to be a little sidebar. <laughs> yeah. Check Screen Heat Miami for that brunch story. But yes, Michael Bay, awesome. also a resident of Miami Beach. Yeah, he, so. he was in the commercial. Yeah, he was in it and he directed it. So pulling pulling a lot of different hats on that one. I think this is a great point to bring in another Mr. 305. A man of many hats. Yeah. Our special guest. That's right. We have a special the guest. The gold man. Yes, Sean Gold. Come on into the show, Sean. Thanks for having me. Sean, Glad to be here. Sean Gold. I like the introduction. <laughs> I, I was promised theme music. I didn't really hear any, but that's okay. That's all post, man. <laughs> hey, we, we gave you the gold, man. Has uh, anyone called you the gold, man? Uh, not uh, for a long time. So, but I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. Take yeah. It. Well, let's talk about first your adventures. From Miami to Los Angeles. It's like a Middle Earth journey. Because <laughs> <laughs> you've been on the screen. Yes, I have. The small screen, but on a national level. On, right. Hey, yeah. that's the big screen. Yeah. On camera talent. So what did what did you do, Sean? Yeah. Well, the first, you know, being from Miami, the first show I thought I was going to be on nationally was American Greed. 
But much to my surprise, <laughs> he may still make it. Yeah, yeah. One, I, da- I dare, I dare. There's to, still time. I dare to dream. One, yeah. one can hope. Um, but I, I made it on Jeopardy. That's which, right. Which was no small feat. This isn't like Wheel of Fortune. Okay. Yeah. I want to hear about that journey, but I have to tell everyone before you get to that journey. Sean almost won that Jeopardy episode. I think that that was his to lose. Ah. So you have to go back and see that one. But I mean, you got to be pretty smart to be on that show. That's what I've heard. Well, let's hear what you had to go through. Well, yeah. I, well I appreciate that. <laughs> we, one would hope. <laughs> one would hope. As, as I said to Alex, I think someone made a clerical error. They, just, <laughs> they, either, they either caved or made a clerical uh, error. That was actually on the episode. <laughs> yeah. It's, um, I wanted to make America laugh again and there be entertained. It was funny. <laughs> so it was always something that, you know, game show wise, I wanted to be on. And, you know, to get on there, you have to take the test because they have to screen you to make sure you know everything. And, you know, and that test is it's no easy feat. I mean, you got seven seconds to answer a question and you got to move on and you got to type in and go fast. You can't you think you can maybe Google it. You can't. There's like seven seconds to type something and click next. Um, So once you pass that, it goes into, okay, yeah, you made it. You passed it. Now you got to come to the audition. And the audition is pretty much at a hotel. You have an entire room of people that passed, and you take two more tests. Same thing, except you write them now, not on the computer. You write them, seven seconds, and after that, you have to play a mock game with the other contestants to make sure that you're, you're ready for TV, that you can do it. And it's a, it's it's a fun experience. People say it's grueling. It's not grueling. It's fun. Oh, okay. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a fun thing to go up there. They give you a mock buzzer, give you a fake Alex. You know, they have it's kind of like a, an, an amateur Jeopardy trivia night, but with the real people oh, <laughs> that, yeah, that yeah. make the choice. Um, but you got to be ready for TV because that's and that was that was the easy part for me. The knowledge was was the hard part. <laughs> the ready for TV was simple. <laughs> right. <laughs> that was the easy part. So once you do the mock tests, once you go through all of that. What happens when you get to L.A.? So first they give you a month's notice. They email you and call you, give you the procedure, and then pretty much you're on your own. Once you once you go to L.A., the whole thing you have to do is just be at the shuttle at the hotel they tell you to stay at. Hmm. And then, you know, the shuttle takes you to the lot, and that that's it. You just got to be there and be on point. Wow. Contrary to the popular belief, there is no study guide. I didn't even get a guide to L.A. Okay, I didn't know where anything was. Study guy. People are like, oh, did you study? What do they give you? They give you nothing. You go in there blind. They give you what to wear, what you can say, how to act, and that's it. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, that's, yeah, they're just concerned about the FCC. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's right. Certain things you can't write, certain things you can't say, and there's definitely not a study guide. The study guide is, hey, watch every episode of Jeopardy ever aired, and maybe you'll remember something. Or read every book ever written, and maybe you'll remember something. Wow. So once you're on set, do you see what's his name? Ken, the most winning Jeopardy person well, ever. Well, he's uh he has a picture in the green room. I oh, mean, he's okay. got he's got you know it's he's not really there. He's just he's got a picture with the staff in the green room holding up a check. So t- right. so technically, yes, you do see him. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um. So do you immediately go on set, or do you have a, another mini competition? I mean, what happens you, once um, you get on set? Once you get there, you go through orientation. And that's, again, where they bring in legal, tell you what you can and can't say if you want to contest anything. They, um, You fill out paperwork. Do you sure. meet the other contestants? Yeah, you, you sit with the other contestants. 
um, you're all together in the green room and enjoy the lovely food that Sony Studios offers its many contestants. Oh, I'm sure. Which it's... is, which is uh, you know, wintergreen lifesavers, <laughs> some 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 ripe bananas, yeah, yeah. <laughs> bottles of water, some yeah. chewing gum. Yeah, some chewing gum exactly. Um, and then after that, you go into the actual the set and you do a mock game where you, you practice with the buzzer and the lights and everything. Um, you film your hometown howdies, which are pretty embarrassing. They make you do it. Um, what was your hometown howdy? Do you remember? They're, they're all the same. They just they're, You literally read off a cue card. Oh. Says, you know, what is, state your name. No, you don't say that. You actually say your name. Oh, okay. <laughs> take two. Take two. <laughs> what is, state your name. That's me. See, right. everyone gets in a line and does it. And then it, um, and then that's it. You play your fake game with the fake Alex, and then, uh, and then you, you just go there and, and wait for contestant roulette. And what I mean by contestant roulette is you don't know when you're gonna play. They film five episodes in a day, so you know it's basically who's gonna who's gonna go next. And you're sitting there wondering who's gonna go, who's gonna go. And then you watch the games as they're filmed. And with that being the case, you know you get really nervous sitting there because yeah. you're sitting up there going, man, I'm glad I'm not that person, but wait, I could be. Right. <laughs> and, and, and and it's either, do I want to get this over with or do I want to want to just wait it out? And, you know, and then you don't know, they just come up and call your name and, uh, wow. you just gotta, so you don't know the other people that you're going to play against. No, nah, you don't, you don't know anything going in there. You walk in there and, you know, you could in, in our in our case, there's a there's an eight day champion, and you don't realize that until they announce the champion. Oh yeah, yeah. Wow. and then there's a collective groan in the collective consciousness right. where everyone goes, I, I should have been on Wheel of Fortune. I know. <laughs> At least that's for me. You know, is it too late to back out? <laughs> well, when I saw you on the episode, and I saw that you're up against a homemaker, I didn't think you were going to make it, man. Uh, it's uh, it's it's anyone's game. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's 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 anyone's game, depending on uh, the categories and depending on you know. Basically, a lot of it comes down to luck. It really is because it could be a category on, let's say, presidents would have had it in the back, easy presidents. Yeah. But instead, you get a category on you know composers on film. I don't even know how you study for that. You got to study every movie that with the composer and who played him. I got yeah. Amadeus, but after that, that's it. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> that's that was a collective category where go. just nobody. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, we had uh, one. You can listen to Screen Heat Miami. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's great. Yeah, that, only, that, that, only, that'll be the one. If only I knew. If only I knew. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, once you get a category you can kind of clean house because it seems like, you know, people who know one particular c- category, they can just clean they just up. go, yeah. you know, from question to question to question to question to question. So that's, right. the, so that's the wheel of fortune factors. If you get your category, you're like, got it. Yeah. yeah. It's, <laughs> all about, it's all about getting that category. You don't yeah. know. You're just sitting there up there going, OK, come on. This is going to be me. What? What? Are you guys using the same globe as me? <laughs> Are we using the same books? <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But you know what I can tell you? It took you a little while to really get it going, but once you were gone, you were gone. Well, thank yeah. you, sir. Yeah. yeah. I've never been excited to see Jeopardy. Now I actually want to see this episode. you got to see the episode. <laughs> That's right. It's, it's must-watch it's must TV. I've always right. wanted to say Apparently. that. If you would have played those da- double dailies. Daily doubles. Daily doubles. <laughs> see? I'm not going on Jeopardy. I already screwed up. Yeah, but if you would have played those just right, you would have won. 
A hundred percent. But it was very difficult. <laughs> no, I know it's a different thing once you're up there, you so, know. You're like I could a Jeopardy armchair quarterback. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From behind. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's Listen, right. It's a, it's a whole different ball game when you're standing in front of 200 people with the lights, the cameras, the judges, and Alex is seven feet away, and there's two other smart people next to you that are ringing in just as fast. Yeah. At home, yeah. it's easy because you know, at home, you just got your significant other or your pet, and you just like, got to oh. beat them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You just got to beat them. You're like, who's the man? And then you get up there, and you're like. Who's the man? Seriously, it's not me. <laughs> yeah, but I gotta say, I mean, overall, I'm just saying, you know, you could have won. I mean, it's not like you went up there and you were like a dud. Yeah, I, well, <laughs> the, the lowest score in history was negative fifty six hundred. So, oh wow, I, I did not even go into negative. So, no, that's, yeah, good. that's saying a lot. <laughs> so, you have a, a, a lot of things coming up, though. Yes. You're working on a lot of projects yes. because you're also a writer. Correct. Yeah, talk a little Let's about, talk about your books. some of your projects. All right, so. You know, a, a, a proper introduction would have listed some of them, but don't worry, I'll, I'll list some of them. Well, no, I mean, you know, we're go- we would say in them in the order yeah. that we would want to say them, but we well, want you to say it in the order that best suits you. I feel like I'm so not prepared for Jeopardy or this podcast. We're, <laughs> You're doing great. We're, we're gonna, we're gonna, we can go down the list. You know, there's so, one here on Amazon. It's yeah. gotten good reviews. Better Be You, yes, Entrepreneur we, Crash Course. We have, so there's four books I've written. Um, there's Better Be You, which is, again, it's the Entrepreneur Crash Course. And it's, it's basically, if you were to take a class in entrepreneurship, which I did because I got my degree in entrepreneurship from the University of Miami, I basically condensed the entire course with my personal information and personal knowledge into the book. So it's very fast, it's like 100 pages, and you can get a lot of knowledge and information out of it. Hmm. So that was the one I wrote most recently. I have three others, including Promoter Mind, Hustler Heart, which is more of a memoir on how I got into Miami nightlife. And I don't want to say took over it but kind of made it my own let's 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 say that made yeah, it definitely made, made it my own you're one of the biggest here in that field so, so. kind so kind. i'm gonna I'm you're gonna, the gold man <laughs> well, th- thank you um i appreciate that so that one is good um that was the first one i wrote um the second one is pro tip and pro tip is just all the funny things that have happened to me over the years working nightlife which is people tell me it's 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 pretty humorous and i say well my misery makes you laugh so, uh, <laughs> whatever it takes whatever it takes and then and then i have my only novel which is hitter which thanks to you you told me the right to develop the ip for a screenplay i wrote so i listened I, I, you, you, you were kind enough to tell me we to, bounce to, it back and yeah, forth to bounce it back and forth you were kind enough to tell me to develop the ip and turn it into a book and i said give me a month and i did and you wow. did it and yeah. i did you didn't waste any time a 305 noir thriller what's that about yeah so hitter basically it's it's a story set in our Miami. And I mean our Miami because every film you see here is always the same two streets. It's always Ocean <laughs> Drive and Collins. And of course we'll have... Bad boys. <coughs> yes, yes. It's a, there's a whole city that that, ta- that, that that is Miami that with neighborhoods and distinct flavors and distinct people and culture. And, and no one ever really shows that. So I wanted to show that and actually have a Wynwood, an Alapata, you know, a Coral Gables at pretty much... Everywhere but Ocean Drive. If they're, they're like, if if I could have any control over a final production, I do not want anything done Ocean Drive. There's just there's there's no point. It's been done to death in every single anything. Miami Vice the show, Miami Vice the movie, Bad Boys One, Bad Boys Two, Bad Boys Three. So my, my whole idea was to have a story based around real Miami people 
which is easy for me to have a criminal noir thriller because I worked in nightlife. You know, I had to work with criminals all the time. Yeah, half so, of the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, had, you had to work with, 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 with criminals and dropouts and drug addicts and deadbeats. And again, these are the people that, you had, that ran the show. So, <laughs> right. Yeah. Trying to get $30,000 yeah, for a bottle yeah, of vodka. Yeah, so, <laughs> so it's, 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 it, it's basically based on a lot of people like that that I turned into characters that I've developed the IP to the extent where I have a comic book trailer that I'm, I'm looking to pursue. I have multiple screenplays just based on the universe, series Bible, and it's something I feel that will showcase the real Miami while still respecting it and making it a very good series or film to actually watch and say, I know that place. I've been there. I've walked by there. I've worked out there. Because it's the, it's the real city. The city itself is a character. The city mm-hmm. itself is, is that Miami feel, Miami vibe, and not just, again, like an Ocean Drive or a Collins Avenue, and, that, and that's it. Wow, that keeps it along with the theme of this episode. Definitely the Miami. And the comic is amazing. Well, thank you. So um, can you give us a website to go to? We can go to SeanGold.com, S-H-A-U-N-G-O-L-D.com. Or you can Google Sean Gold alternatively. Don't be alarmed. My face will come up. And, uh, <laughs> and that, that there you can reach out. You can contact with me. You can follow me. You can follow me on Instagram. Follow me on Facebook. Follow me in the streets of Miami. I'd love to meet you. I'll give you a high five. There you go. <laughs> I mean, it's whatever you want. But shoot me a shout out. Love to hear from you. That is the gold man. That was great. Well, I'm excited about all your projects, and congrats again on the uh, the Jeopardy. Uh, Got to watch that Jeopardy Gotta episode. Got to go back and see the Sean Gold episode of Jeopardy. Thank definitely you. is one of the highs of Jeopardy history. Uh, what do I say to that? What do I can't help? I the can't. Gold Man. Yeah, give it up. Sean Gold. Thank you. All so, right. so I think with that, we got to jump into our episode. Yes. Max Weiler. Max Weiler is the founder of Accord Productions. They do a lot of different things. They have a facility where they have a lot of different um, businesses. They're at that facility. They also are a production company. So they produce many different things from commercials to corporate videos to the list goes on and on but also shows Mm. they are one of the biggest and unscripted here in Miami so they've had many shows on air they have a couple of shows on air right now and that's everything from discovery to the list goes on and on of networks that they've had shows on the air and shows on the air right now and in the past so Max Weiler is definitely one of the biggest in the industry here in Miami and I would say across the country. Hmm. This is an excellent interview and he'll give you a lot of insight and insider's view into that world. So without further ado, I give you Max Weiler. Let's do it. Here we are. Uh We're here. Screen Heat Miami. Big, big podcast with Max Weiler. Um, This is Screen Heat Miami. We're really excited because Max... Your experience is far-reaching and far-ranging. Well, Kevin, I don't know if that means I'm real old or what, but uh, I'll take it as a compliment. (laughs) Well, you know, I think that, um, especially for our listeners, it's as important as anything because, you know, we want to draw from your experience and pour it right into this microphone. Well, um, I would say we have a little bit of that. My brother and I started the company in 1988, so we've been in Miami for quite a while. 1988. Wow, that's mm-hmm. like uh, Miami Vice days? Um, a little bit before that. We worked for another production company during the Miami Vice days. Okay. Uh, hey, let's start at Miami Vice. Uh-huh. 
Miami Vice changed the landscape for Miami. Oh, yeah. I mean, when when the state officials talk about incentives and things like that, and they don't see the benefits of incentives, just the exposure from a good series like that. I mean, that puts South Beach on the map. I don't I mean, we were talking off off the, the recorder about what South Beach was like before that. And and I mean, it's world renowned now all because of that show. Wow. You can't put a value on that. You cannot. It brought the production. It brought production people. It trained production people. Yeah. And in, in the early days, you remember, it attracted all the Europeans. The Europeans, the Germans and all, did all the photography and fashion stuff out there. That's what was the renaissance of all South Beach, all because of that show, in my opinion. I don't, what do you think? Um, there was production before Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. But I think that in terms of, you know, the bigger ranging production, Michael Mann is one of my favorite directors. But you talk about not only the production itself, but people who then went on to do other things. Mm -hmm. And that's from, you know, Don Johnson to uh, Edward James Almost to the list goes on and on that have had long careers. Oh, sure. And then you'd mentioned something about production history in Miami and all that. That's where my age is kind of interesting. I touched into those. I talked to a lot of those old producer ones when people talk about the historic times like General Ben and Flipper and all that stuff. I was on those sets as as a kid. I used to walk in there. I didn't work. I was too young for that. But I actually saw that guy and they met. I met those producers. So that's kind of I'm one of those. I'm at that right age where I was there. I didn't really know what was going on, but I I know it existed. It was pretty cool. Okay, so we're going to go back there. We'll come back to Miami Vice and then we'll move forward. But where are you from? I am born and raised in Miami. I was four years out in the Midwest for, I played football in, in Kansas at a, at a college and all the rest of the time in South Florida. What what position? I was a linebacker. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. Okay. Coral Gables High School here and then out to Kansas. I don't know. My father was crazy to let an 18-year-old make that decision, but it was free, so I guess he liked that. <laughs> That's not crazy. <laughs> free is not crazy. Yes, uh, but it, it, it paid. And any, I'm, I don't know how many athletes you know, and, and ones are in uh, football programs. But if they calculated the amount of hours you dedicate to football at a rate, it would be way below minimum wage. Between the off-season workouts and all the meetings you have and everything else, I think it's better to pay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there is a big thing going through the NCAA and the system as well. You know about players. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they want to pay them necessarily but for them to be compensated in some way oh they need to be i mean i'm a free market guy all the time but i mean they're the ones who are generating all these millions of dollars i mean mm-hmm. you got these coaches i mean a a, a guy and, I, and i'm a south florida guy i'm a dolphin fan so no dolphin fan likes saving a guy like saving making 10 million dollars is a crime when he's got these players making nothing yeah he's one of the highest paid coaches in football period yeah you know whether pros or college so yeah they got to do something about that 
yeah. mean, I like the amateur thing and all that, but it's not amateur anymore. When you're when you see the facilities that they're building and the coaches that they're paying and the staff and everything else they're doing, all on the backs of these kids who ninety five percent of them aren't going to play or get paid anywhere. Yeah, they say ninety seven percent, so only three percent go to the pros. So. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'd say yeah. At Alabama, it's probably a little higher because oh, Alabama <laughs> is. <higher>. Yeah, <laughs> that's but right. At, at a school like mine, I would say it's quite a bit lower. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Three percent. Yeah, yes. Bama. They didn't make it to the final to the big, the big time this year. This is like, uh... yeah. I'm very happy about that. <laughs> One of my favorite things is when Alabama loses. <laughs> oh, we, wow. we did a lot of work with Saban when he was with the Dolphins. Our our one of our partner. Uh, for years was uh, Jim Mandich, and mm-hmm. he was a he played for the Dolphins. I don't know if you know the history of him, but he was a he was a talent down here too. He did Channel Ten Sports, and he was a radio host and all that. Great guy, and he was our partner on the things. And he liked everybody, and he didn't like Saban either. <laughs> <laughs> no one likes yeah, Saban. I bet Saban is he has to be tough. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you know to to, to have, well, no, you don't have to be that kind of tough, but um, yeah. you know to get better. The teams that he's, you know, kind of. Oh, he's definitely successful. Yeah, definitely successful. But nothing better than the, than to see him lose. I, I, one of my <laughs> projects, you know, all of us producers have projects. What we think of when we're driving around in a car or something else, or we're looking up at the ceiling before we go to sleep. I'm sure you have a bunch of projects like that. Simple ones. I want to put together a reel of Saban faces after turnovers or losses or or. <laughs> touchdowns by the other teams i think it would be successful <laughs> i think it'd be a youtube 10 million view success well you're one of the guys <laughs> that would know so mm-hmm. yeah so we want to just you know from the point of when did you know that you wanted to be in production i don't know if i still have made that decision yet <laughs> everyone i mean we were talking to andre uh one of your students here earlier and i the first question i always ask new guys in there is why the heck do you want to do this uh, yeah it's a tough business <laughs> oh it's a real tough business um i kind of grew up around it my father was a talent he did sitcoms and all and it was feast or famine around our house mm-hmm. when he was working things were great when he wasn't working the lights went out oh, so wow. i mean it was tough and he did jackie gleason's show which was big down here and he'd he'd have to fly off to new york and and like you were talking about you have to go to georgia a lot now because uh the lack of projects uh, yeah we opened up shop there yeah you have a place in georgia so um grew up about that i didn't have the talent to be on the front side so we kind of grew up gripping and and things that he used to get us odd jobs and stuff on sets my brother i keep saying us my brother and i used to do odd jobs on sets and things we even worked on vice as a 14 or 15 year old oh wow a few times union wasn't happy about it oh yeah i'm sure not (laughs) but times were different then we didn't look 14 or 15 though fortunately oh okay good for you Yeah. yeah so you were kind of grandfathered into well fathered you were fathered into it you were fathered into the industry yeah yeah Kind of, yes. Yeah. I, um, I mean, we built more of a business model. I mean, people look at uh, what we're doing. I mean, um, 
I'm a finance major. I didn't study film at all. I grew up around film. Mm-hmm. I like film. I, I do. But it's to me, it's it's very important that the business model makes sense. Yeah. And that's where, I mean, I, I look at the stuff that you've done over the years and things in the movie side. The movie side is very difficult to make a business model for it. I mean, it's real tough. I mean, that, those are swinging for the fences all the time. And that's when you hit, man, it's tremendous. But there's more strikeouts than home runs. And and that's a tough one. That's why this OTT is very interesting because there's there's set revenues tied to it and you can do things to influence those revenues and we're doing a lot of that um the the unscripted we've had a lot of success in uh over over the last 10 years um and with the residual market now with the uh international markets to sell to and the the gazillion uh ott platforms would buy stuff i mean you don't make big dollars you don't get big checks but you get a lot of little ones Hey, a lot of little ones add up to big. So, oh, yeah. So I just want to demystify some of these things. So, And we're going to get into the technical part of it also in a minute. Right. But um, just so our listeners know, what is OTT? Well, it stands for over the top. But basically, I mean, if you have Netflix, you know what OTT is. Over the top television. Yeah, it's uh-huh. over the top. It's it's without a cable or anything. All you need is internet stream. access. Yeah, it's a stream. So, and the the what people don't realize the beauty of it from a producer standpoint is you don't have a middleman. I don't know about you, but middlemen drive me crazy. The network guys who sit there and and they they play around with you as far as scheduling time. Oh, they treat you. Oh, especially. South Florida. Oh, well, you're lucky if I even take a look at your project or whatever. You know what? OTT takes all that away because you put it up. If you produce it, put it on OTT and you get the audience, you get paid. Right. And there's no and they can't tell you, oh, it's not going to work or anything. You find out. They tell you. Yeah. So you're on the sets. Mm hmm. You and your brother are really cutting your teeth in the industry. When did you decide to jump fully into the pool. Well, it was interesting. My brother was working for a production company in 86, and I just got graduated college, and he called me and he goes, hey, this production company's going out of business. Do you want to come in and put together a marketing plan and, and do some sales and marketing things for them? And I go, oh, it sounds like a good idea. So we went and did that, and uh, he was on the technical side. And I was on the marketing and sales side, and, and we turned it around. It was pretty cool. Um, we had a lot of success there. And then uh, then it didn't turn out the way we wanted it to. We were promised equity or something, and it didn't happen. So it, not only did it didn't happen, but we were fired. Oh, yeah. wow. So, but it was kind of foolish to fire the the lead marketing sales guy and the technical guy. So we we went on and started our uh, accord, what we have today, in in eighty eight May of eighty eight, and started in the my little condo in Coral Gables, and we started with services. I don't know about you, but a lot of producers we we I think the first time we've probably dealt with you is through our services division. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and that's still half of our revenue to this day. Oh wow. Yeah. Okay, so let's talk about the services division. So you started 
with... I mean, in the early days, it was uh, film transfer and uh, video duplication and just offline editing. I mean, you're probably too young to remember what offline editing is, but it used to be three-quarter tapes, and and producers would come in because online editing was so expensive, they'd come into these little offline edit rooms to do rough cuts, so they had it all lined up before they went to the six or seven hundred dollar an hour edit rooms yeah yeah they pay us i think our rate was 75 dollars an hour and you had an operator or anything and you just put together a, a cut with little time code burns and all that stuff i don't know if, if you're young too young to remember that probably but <laughs> but that's the way we did it before the the non-linear stuff and all and we did and as that worked out i mean vhs is that at one point we had grown to we were doing six million VHS cassettes a year. Oh wow! Yeah, and then the transition. We've had a lot of transitions. Um, uh, DVD. I mean, VHS disappeared within eighteen months of when DVD appeared, and there was a big transition. And a lot of times, most companies have a tough time doing it. I'd say our biggest strength is our transitions, because when you're known for something, that's great. But then, how do you? become known for something new and we transitioned to dvd and we ended up in our best years on dvd we were and we were known for quick short runs we worked with a lot of producers and all we didn't do a gazillion but we would do like a producer like yourself would come in and need a hundred for a a real screen or 500 for a a small distribution deal or 2500 for some other distribution that was our bread and butter and you needed it quick and you needed four color and all that stuff that's what we did we were up to about eight or nine million dvds a year Oh wow! At the height of the thing, we still do some DVD, but most of the service now is digitizing. Digitizing for, uh, old uh, tape transfers. I mean, we just did uh, Sabaganta. Here we go. I'm from Miami, and my Spanish is terrible. But Sabaganta Gigante. Gigante yeah. We did the whole. I think it's 40-some years, and it started out on three-quarter and went all the way up to HDCAM SR, and we digitized all that. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. And we have a bunch of stuff from the uh, Academy. I'm on the Academy for the Emmys, and we have a bunch of historic uh, 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 Emmy shows through the years that we're digitizing, and those are on all different formats as well. And we get a lot of stuff like that. There's a lot of historic stuff. We've done stuff for the... the uh, Spanish collection at the University of Miami. Thousands and thousands of hours of stuff from from Cuba, Castro's Cuba, Betamax stuff, uh, just uh, in any video format you can think of. We do. I mean, Jackie Gleason's uh, 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 widow. Uh, she transferred a bunch of her old uh, one inch and stuff of the old Jackie Gleason honeymooners oh, things wow. and all that stuff. So we get a, we get to see a lot of stuff too. It's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. We did. We worked. Uh, we uh, just finished a, stu- a bunch of stuff for Ferdy Pacheco, the fight doctor. He passed away about two years ago. His family said all his stuff digitized. So yeah, there's there's a bunch of stuff. Bunch I of think stuff now that's as important as anything because content is king. So a lot of that old content, you know, people are taking that and they're repurposing it, you know? Yeah. I mean, we thought there would be more repurposing of that. I mean, the first, when we first were working out a business model, we thought, ah, there's a gazillion tapes and a gazillion masters out there and it all needs to be digitized. Well, no, 90% of it, people aren't interested in digitizing it. Yeah. It just doesn't have value. I, I think, you know, for some of the bigger companies, so, you know, you think... Of course, Disney, you know, um, Warner Media, you know, a lot of these companies are going back into their old libraries, 
content that they own, the intellectual property is as important as anything. Mm -hmm. And then utilizing that intellectual property then to create new content. And then they connect that with their old libraries. So, you know, and so that's a lot of what's going on now. But this is really interesting to hear the evolution of your company because it does, you know, go along with the evolution of the industry as a whole. Right. And how uh, the the industry has gone digital. Right. Well, I mean, and we've always, the thing we're, I mean, I think we did a good job because we were going after different clients. One was a corporate clientele and the other was an entertainment clientele, but we've always shot. A lot of people didn't know that. And remember marketing to the industry is very different than marketing to the mass corporations. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, from day one, I mean, our first, we shot film commercials. From that was our background. We shot we shot a bunch of film commercials. We shot a bunch of music videos. We shot for Two Live Crew and and those guys. Nobody. I mean, we worked with Luke a lot. Yeah, we're trying so, to get we're trying to get Luke on the show. So Luke, if you hear this episode, <laughs> <laughs> Luke's busy yeah. just, uh, training state champions for uh, right for football. Yeah, That's what and he has doing. his show also. You know, which I I really loved his show. Oh yeah, yeah. If you want to catch him, he's at uh, Cazzoli's. Uh, probably about once a week. Oh, really? Getting pizza there. Oh, okay. Yes. That used to be my... That's where I see him. <laughs> that, 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 yeah, that was my spot. Um, definitely, that was one of my spots when mm-hmm. I lived over in that area. But the production thing, a lot of people are always shocked now. They go, oh, well, you're having such success in production. I mean, it's always been a, a good portion of our business. I mean, we have five on-staff shooters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And, and You got to keep them busy. Yeah. I mean, we you know we have a channel, so... Right, right, we, right. We have the beauty of... With that overhead when we can schedule stuff for our channel when we don't have paid work but this time of the year we got paid work yeah you guys are i mean today we're we were shooting for uh boeing up in cape canaveral they had oh, a nice. big launch today yeah that's right yeah. yeah and then i don't know i probably shouldn't say this but because they're arch enemies but we were shooting for blue origins three days before oh that. really <laughs> Okay, this that might go on the behind the scenes. <laughs> yes. yes, but um, yeah, but that, that, that's great though. Mm-hmm. And to hear that kind of dichotomy mm-hmm. and kind of far-reaching ability, I do want to get into the production side of things. You know, the production of what you guys <coughs> do. So let's talk about because once you know production, you know production. Right. You know. So was that evolution? commercials, music videos, and then unscripted? Or, you know, how did that work? Well, it was, I mean, since since we always provided crews and stuff, I mean, first business model, I mean, the stuff that you do, the creative side and all that stuff, that's a lot of work. Yeah. That's a lot of work. And our first business model was we didn't want to get involved in that because you go home with that and you got to work yeah. with clients and it's it's constant. Where when you're shooting, you go out, you follow the instructors of producers and you do it. So for years, we shot a lot of shows, but we didn't participate in the creative. And then we got to the point where, where uh, I mean, we we did creative on corporate and small marketing things and all that. And, and, when we did the house and garden TV uh, giveaway series, where they where they where they show building a house for 13 episodes and then they give it away on the 14th episode, we did that I think three three uh, seasons of that. We decided that the industry was changing. We needed to be involved because the technical was getting a lot of people can do the technical and they can do a pretty good job of it. It used to be a lot more skills involved. It's still, I mean, we can go back and forth. I still think a, a good camera DP guy's got to have 10 years of experience. I don't care. There's guys that come into my office, go, oh, I'm great. And uh, in college, I'm six months. I'm better than anybody you got. I don't believe it because there's just, there's a cert- certain things about experience and all that. So, um, 
we got into the creative side. We've been around it for a long time, and we were right that it's headaches. I mean, you take that stuff home. You can't do as many projects. You need more uh, uh, support staff because, I mean, as you know, all those people need hand-holding. Yeah. 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 Um, but yet and still, mm-hmm. you've had shows, you know, and you're working on shows yeah well our our transition our best trend or where we had the the greatest opportunity was um on south beach classics into the unscripted um you mentioned earlier when we were off a mic uh that it's not a straight line and you got to take you get your knocks and everything else well we provided technical services for a, a production company out of london um, for the first season of South Beach Classics, which was on Discovery Channel. And we had camera guys and we did all the technical stuff and everything else. We were exposed to it. And then the show got canceled from Discovery, but was a new channel started was Velocity, which is a card channel. And it did fairly well. We thought that the British didn't understand American humor and they cut it wrong. Yeah. We didn't handle the post. We were there on the shoot, and we go, no, we think we can make this show better. And so we talked to them and said, are you interested in Velocity? They go, no, nah, we don't want to deal with Velocity. You all go ahead. And so, so I approached Velocity and said, hey, I think we can do this show. And, and I cut a pilot of what we thought the way it should be. And um, I talked to one of the big uh, ed, uh network guys there and and he said yeah let's give it a try and we tried that format success that show was successful from the first time we went it um that show went on for for three more seasons is is one of the top shows on the network it was the highest rated uh car show on there except for their live auctions i don't know how much you do that their live auctions draws like 1.1 million uh households but as far as an unscripted show, that was that was their show. But in this day and age, you always have other problems. And we ran into one of those things where um, our one of our the stars we got into a, a a claim of domestic violence. Oh yeah, and it was in the New Times, and and I was around him for I was around. I mean, you know, as a producer, you're around your stars all the time. Um, I know that they weren't married. I know they didn't live together and the timeline doesn't make sense. And only the new times picked it up. Yeah, but that's all you yeah. even the perception, uh-huh. you know, especially, you know, in this day and age can can anything. It can can a career, it can can a show, oh, we can No question. I mean, yeah. no question. And that's what a lot of I mean, look what's happened on a lot of other shows, more mainstream shows and things like that. But what I what mean right what, what I point out is only the new times picks up. You and I know that the New Times, what type of journalism they do, and they yeah. do a very good job at it. They do hit journalism, yeah. And I think they do a fantastic job. They're a little loose with the facts, in my opinion. I was around that thing, and I that no one ever interviewed me. Yeah, I and it's our I show. Been, I think I would have been a great <laughs> person to say, "Hey, did you ever see anything go on?" And, and were, no, I mean I was around the people. Yeah. I know that they didn't live together. I know that they they've been separated since season two. So, I mean, they would just show up and do the show and, and that. And so, I, I, I to me, it's very unfair, but that's the environment we're in right now. Social media, we try to put in our contracts now. We try to put in our contracts for unscripted shows that... that uh, Detrimental uh, social media is a big no-no. You can't talk about personal things and all that. We get, but it's very hard to manage. 
Yeah. I mean, you see, I mean... The, Especially with Unscripted, you don't yeah. know, you know, which way it's going to go, you know, one day to the next, so... No, but there's the... What they say in politics, there's the... There's certain things where that's the... The uh, the, uh, the, uh, the rail that you hit, would you burn up and rail... The, the electric rail? Well, there's three of them in TV, and that was one of them. Anything mentioned, even if there's a, a, a mention of domestic violence, a show's done. Yeah, um... Well, sorry to hear that, but well, you do have... But we're going to be back. I mean, it's gone through the court system now and on. Everything is proven, like we said, that, that it's going to happen. So this is where OTT will come in. The networks will still be shy to something because it still has that taint. They say, oh, well, there was a newspaper article, whatever, would say domestic violence. But we can go to an OTT or our own OTT and play it and say, hey, here's our court stuff. We were correct. We won. There was no domestic violence or any proof of it here let's run and we're, we're gonna do a season five. Oh, great yeah okay yeah the show does tremendously on amazon oh the really past episode oh that's great on amazon it does tremendously okay so we have to have you back for an episode specifically on the show oh, I'd love <laughs> on to. that show yeah our current shows right now we have a, a, a in the car block on history channel we got a, a show called it's how you get there it's a show we have three hosts um jen uh, Barlow. She's a motorcycle riding blonde girl. Um, we got Sam Nimi. He uh, is a, a world champion wave runner guy, but he also does motorcycles and a car guy. Really nice guy. And then Julian Taylor, he's a motorcycle guy. So we put these 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 guys, they get into competitive situations. The, the premise of the show is they will drive anything with a motor. Oh, so there's wow, some innovation in it or anything like that. So one week there'll be an 18 wheelers going through Utah. The next week they'll be uh, doing uh, wave runners going across to the Bahamas or something. But there's always a competitive angle to it. They're always racing. Yeah, we want to see them on you know those uh, those new hoverboards in the, that fly in the air. Oh yeah, no, we'll have something <laughs> like that. We'll certainly this this season we're going to we're going to be shooting in Wisconsin in in three weeks where they're going to be doing ice racing on motorcycles on a lake in Wisconsin and oh, after wow. that they're gonna they're gonna uh, ice fish you need to get with my <laughs> producing partner um, Andy Schefter mm-hmm. Andy uh, does these spots around the world where they work with some of the most extreme uh, sports people they did like um, lava surfing Oh, you know wow. the volcanoes in Fiji is one example. Wow, um, they worked with the guy that has the jetpack that flew next to the plane. Uh huh. You know they I saw did that. that. That was yeah. Yeah. So they oh, do wow. those kind of spots. So yeah. you guys need to partner up. You know I want to see you know yeah. <laughs> jetpack racing or I don't something know. like our, that. Our E&O insurance would not be happy with a jetpack <laughs> next to a plane. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Right. They would not be happy. Yeah. So, th- but that's awesome. You know, I think. What's in? Huh? Yeah. Oh, and and we have tomorrow's world today on Science Channel. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's going into third season on Science Channel. So I want to just talk about some of the specifics, and I want to talk about that show too. But some of mm-hmm. the specifics of what is it like to produce an unscripted? You know, how many hours does it take versus? what comes out, um, the production of it. You know, what is that 
look like? Well, I mean, you know, as you know, you got to be efficient because unscripted pays a fraction of scripted. Right. I think that it's one fourth. I right. think that's the formula what we do. I mean, some of our scripted stuff, but scripted's a lot more work in the bigger crews. I mean, longer days. I don't know if we're doing it wrong, but all our scripted stuff seems like it's all 18 hour days. I don't know what it is. Yeah, it is. Right. 12, 14, <laughs> 16, 18. Yeah, because it has to be done. You have like, you know, this time schedule yeah, and it, it just has to be and done. And it really wears out our crews where once you get in the rhythm on the unscripted stuff, it's kind of like you're in the business. Or, I mean, you're you're part of the if it's uh, if it's classic cars or if it's uh, the motorcycle show, you're kind of a part of the whole team. And we're driving around with them and doing the stuff. And it's, it's kind of, it, it's a lot of fun. How many shooters does it take? You know, we do two. Talk about- our our typical. I mean, we travel light. Um, it's two two camera, and then we have a, a coordinating producer and a and a story producer, and then we have a, a production assistant and audio person. So it's very oh, yeah. light plus the three three uh, talent. That's efficient. Yeah, no, that's that's the way you got to do it. Yeah, what do you guys shooting on? Um, depends on the show. Our guys on the on the car shows they like the FS sevens or the uh, the. Uh, uh, the big brother of that what is that the FS5 uh, yeah well with the 50 is it oh the fit right yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. it's cause you can do the slow-mo oh as, yeah. as all what's the old filmmaker he said everything looks better in slow-mo the guy from <laughs> from uh, so we like to do a lot of corners and leaves and stuff with mm-hmm. car shows so we do that and then on the food shows and things like that we use the Canon camera C300s oh nice mm-hmm. yeah food looks really good the color correction guy especially when you shoot in log or whatever mm-hmm. you can really do some crazy stuff with that yeah we're yeah. shooting right now a doc um and we've used um we use fs5s fs7s and uh, uh the a7 yeah, oh, okay. so and i yeah. love that that system so yeah they match very well yeah yeah when you go to color correct and all it, it comes together very nicely perfectly yeah so the science show tell me about the science show well it's a innovation um we talked off off, off camera on the phone a couple weeks ago about what are the hot uh, genres and right now the two hot genres are innovation the whole science that i mean innovation and crime those are what the networks are looking for anything related to those um the two things that are out of vogue unfortunately travel is one of them and and the car thing uh. classic cars is becoming passe a little bit mm-hmm. and when i say they're out of favor they're not rating as well mm-hmm. or they're skewing older i mean some of the classic car shows are skewing 60 plus advertisers you know the advertisers don't want 60 plus no i'm getting close to that that demographic so <laughs> i don't know why they don't want my money but uh they, they that's not what they're they're after so the but the 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 uh crime stuff big yeah, but I think, you know, ever since Netflix introduced, uh, what was that true, that crime uh, series? And not just them, and podcasts too, you know? They they introduced that, uh, and I can't remember the name of it. Listeners, I'll get that back to you, or you can look on the website. But then those crime docu-series mm-hmm. really exploded. And from that point, then, you know, the unscripted in terms of, you know, the crime series have just taken off. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, and all the variants of it and everything else. I had a guy pitch me the other day. I thought it was a great pitch and want to do it, but he he was a he was 
I mean, we get a lot of bad pitches. The guy came in, he goes, oh, I got a great, I'm a, I, what I do, I said, what's it about? Oh, it's what I do. Oh, what are you, a real estate guy? Oh, God. Oh. <laughs> I go, no, 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 you got to hear it. He, he had a kind of interesting look, too. And you know, this is all about characters. And he goes, I sell, my specialty is selling houses where people have been killed. Oh, <laughs> wow. Okay. And all of a sudden, I perked up. I go, Wow. Yeah, That's something. That is and something. I think he signed with HGTV. I was gonna, I was working with him on stuff, and then he went cold. And I think, from what I hear, my contacts at HGTV tell me they're working on developing that. And yeah, I, that I'm is wow. That's an angle. Yeah, because as you know, realtors have to report or have to tell you everything about it. it, right? And what I learned is, is if there has been a crime like that at your at a house, it's worth half the price. Oh, so yeah. can you imagine walking into a house in L.A. or something, and they're walking around and going, "Oh, this is beautiful, it's wonderful," but this is a three million dollar neighborhood. Why is this house only one point five million dollars? Uh, uh, tell me, realtor, why is that? Oh, go ahead and have a seat. What do you mean, have a seat? Have a seat. <laughs> have a drink. Yeah, have a drink. Here's a drink. Whatever else. Well. Well, the reason why is is that five people were killed in this house. The wife immediately gets up and says, we're out of here. And the husband's going, hey, come back, honey. Wait, it's $1.5 million. But you know what? That, that could lead into, I think, paranormal does well too right oh yeah so that could lead into the next genre well but you that's what that's the other thing what networks like to hear about is different storylines what relate to that so this guy i don't know if it's in there but if as a, a showrunner for that show if that was my show i would have something like that i'd have Franchois guys and, right. and catholic priests and whatever coming <laughs> there would be a section where they get the spirits out of the house right so maybe the husband or whoever i, I don't want to just say the husband would be always the one who wanted to buy the cheaper house but maybe the one spouse who wanted to convince the other one that they could get the spirits out of there it's a great storyline wow. there's bunches of them man so, you should have took that <laughs> yeah, i was a little you slow got the that day uh, right the, in our business you got to be fast and fast, sometimes yeah. you get a little jaded and even though I've been doing this a long time and 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 i can see a good one i was a little slow and it was one of those days where a million things were happening yeah and the dude and i took the pitch just like uh because he had worn me down he had called me for three weeks and and i was really in the middle of five things and when he and i was expecting just one of these pitches where okay it's good i'll look at it and that was that but but and then by the time I got to him, he had, he had gone, I think it's HDTV. But that doesn't mean, I mean, you know this, but I don't know if the people listening. 999 out of 1,000 pitched shows do not get picked yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And the numbers for content producers, you're a content producer, we're content producers. There's... Third, I or last time I was at Real Screen or at Napty or something. I think there's 3,500 active uh, content producers. Oh yeah. But there's only 1,800 active shows. Yeah. Yeah. So do the numbers. That yeah. means there's less than one show per active content producer on the networks. Obviously, there's other areas where they can make their their living and all that, but. And in Florida, it gets even uh, bleaker. I mean, oh, yeah. Florida-owned yeah. companies that have network shows, 
There's not many. Few I mean, my friend Chris between, yeah. Chris Sloan. I don't know if you know Chris. Yeah, at TC Media. Media. He did twenty uh, Airport twenty four seven, and he's done others. But but those those traditional setups with the networks are very hard to make money. They're a bad business. Yeah, bad business. So um, our business model more and more is we're owning more of them and licensing them, and we'll do a couple of the traditional deals. But uh, I mean, we feel kind of fortunate being the the big fish in the or in the little pond. Yeah. So. I mean, you go to L.A. I mean, you've been to L.A. a million times. I, I, I got to go yeah, a few times. Yeah, there's 20 yeah. companies that do what we're doing yeah. on one block. So Yeah. Uh, so you're, you're getting these Miami, these South Florida stories, these Florida stories, you know? Oh, so. yeah. Well, Florida stories and, 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 and all that. But but the one thing would I want to point out, everybody, oh, L.A. is great and everything else. Our lifestyle is so much better here than L.A. I've spent a lot of time out in L.A. It's expensive. It's crazy. Um, I. I give them the credit that in the in the summer and the evening their weather is better because the humidity and all what we have here. But that's it. <laughs> and their wine country, yeah, they got us beat on wine, definitely. But but there's we got everything. Yeah, else. we got everything else. Yeah, and mangoes in the backyard. Yeah, their avocados. ocean. Their ocean is too cold. Too cold. That's right. <laughs> and they have this. They have this stuff that grabs you by the leg when you go in there if you can stand the cold. That kelp stuff. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's not. That definitely not for me. I've had job offers out there and everything else, and I worked out there for a period of time. I'm not interested. Yeah. Nice place to visit, but I can't live there. Yeah, but now, you know, you can do things from wherever. You know, like I said, we, you know, we opened up shop in Georgia. Georgia was number one in production for the the production part, you know, the a lot of the shows come oh, yeah. from LA, but number one in production for the past three years. Well, so. the incentives, they got a rich incentive, and, and the big producers will chase after that because that's big bucks for them. And what I've found out that I didn't know, you know, before we opened up shop is they, of course, a lot of us in the industry know that they have a robust infrastructure, but I didn't know they have 14 studios. 14. Well, well 15 because Tyler Perry studio. Yeah, well, how many of those have been built in the last 10 years? You know, a lot of them, you know, yeah. they're because we were actually ahead of Georgia, you know, at one moment. But, you know, they surged ahead. And so they're doing uh, very, very well. But being connected to people that are in the industry that are whether they're coming in or out or whether they live in the industry, The Rock actually um, moved out there. Mm-hmm. You know, he bought a house and he said he wanted to be near his productions. So right. there you go. That 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 kind of tells you. Oh, yeah. But uh, I did want to talk about the distribution side of it because you were involved in the distribution side of it, too. You have your own channel, your own OTT. So can we talk about that a bit? Yeah. I mean, OTT, we talked earlier about OTT and that's where it's going. In our opinion, I mean, everybody has their opinion or else and 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 my employees like to say, oh, it's another one of Max's lame brain ideas. But uh, out of 100 opinions, if you hit on four of them, if you hit on runs, you're good. So this is one where I, I, I think I'm on the right track. Um, OTT, the, the beauty of the OTT and every business, the always problem is selling, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. OTT, you don't have to worry about that because if you have the eyeballs, there's already companies out there would have the advertising for you. There is an unlimited amount of advertisers for eyeballs. Yeah. So OTT is it's it's not all these games with rating numbers and guessing with little books and everything else. They know exactly who's watching their program. They know how many eyeballs. They know when. They know when they turn off the TV. Um, they know what commercials. I mean, we've had some OTT platforms will tell us they can't run a certain commercial anymore because it turns off viewers. 
Oh, that's how that's wow. how they analyze it. I mean, some of these very depressing type of donate to us or something else. We've done a few of those things. They say, hey, we're great. We believe in the cause, but it, it hurts our, our our audience. So we don't want to run it anymore, even if it's a paid spot. So OTT, if you do the numbers, I mean, I'll give you some brief numbers and the viewer, or viewers or listeners can, can go through it. But you basically get paid around an average of $20 per thousand on your audience. You pay a 30% commission. So figure it out. If you're getting $20 per thousand and say, I mean, a, 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 a show like South Beach Classics, what we had, we would draw 600,000 on our traditional network. Say we get, say be conservative. We draw 200,000 when it runs on our OTT. If you do the math, that's a lot of money. Yeah. It's a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah, and it can pay for a lot of shows. Well, a lot of people, you know, were skeptic about you know we say OTT streaming I'm going to say streaming because we, we've been talking about this since we started the show so they were skeptical about streaming of course the networks knew you know they were skeptical you know a couple of years ago and then you know net, of course Netflix you know changed the market right. but then HBO HBO Go and then Showtime did theirs and then you know so many people now have stepped into the game. We talked about Disney Plus. Disney Plus thought by the end of the year they'd have 8 million subscribers. The minute they turned the key on, 10, 10 million, million subscribers. Yeah. 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 That was, they couldn't. I mean, can you imagine Disney couldn't handle the load? Of they couldn't handle the load. That's right. I mean, they're set up for unlimited and they got overwhelmed. So I, I can't even imagine. <laughs> so the writing is on the wall. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Now, but here's the dilemma. I go to a lot of these seminars and on a lot of these boards on OTT and all that. The the initial, the under 30 crowd is easy to get signed up because they understand the technology. And if and if they have to reset their box or their computer or do all that stuff, they're comfortable doing that. They grew up doing that. But the viewer what's 35 and older, that's, the, that's a challenge. I mean, a lot of the people that I, I've talked with say... That I mean, even though we all hate Comcast, we hate DirecTV and all the other things, they do have something with the the OTTs don't have, and that is once they do show up and put in the box or whatever else, you turn it on and it works. Right. Yeah. You can't say that. I mean, I have all of them at my office: Apple TV, Fire, Roku, everything else. <laughs> and I'm a technical guy, yeah. even though I'm older. I'm still a technical guy. Right. I'm not afraid of technology at all. And every one of those things, you got to reset or do something to once yeah. in a while. Either yeah. the bandwidth went out for a period of time, or or you're having some kind of problem. Reset, and that's perfectly in my skill set. But isn't that in the skill set of the 35 and over viewer who comes home from work and all they want to do is just go to the remote and turn the thing on yeah that's the next that's the question is this conversion if the cord cutting is going to keep continuing at the pace that it's doing yeah i mean i think it's going to level off at some point you know and money's still in the linear you know the advertising dollars you know is still more often than not in mm-hmm. the linear traditional you know cable right and i think it's going to be a balance you know is ott going to be the higher part of the balance who knows you know so um you know really talking to someone that does the linear and does the ott you know to kind of see your feelings about this yeah. you know well i mean it's been i mean your side of the business too 
there's there's no one it used to be when we first started doing this where one check usually would pay the cost of production and paid your profit and everything else it's not the case anymore usually you got to get paid at a couple different places so the linear networks are our first paycheck that's where we get and we like to cover the cost of production on that first paycheck right right sometimes you don't through the traditional way now when you sell to networks you don't need I, I don't know of anybody who keeps ownership unless you're the big the big Oprah's and Tyler Perry's and things like that then they keep ownership but then again they get bought out at huge numbers so they don't keep ownership so they just get paid a huge amount of money but um, that's that's where you the the OTT comes in and the other distribution and even YouTube and, and those things there's little checks and stuff involved in that we're all part of our business model now it used to be just an afterthought but you really have to think about it yeah this is interesting this tells you all about where social media is and everything we're doing an airport show on uh, Fox Business starting in February called Airport Insider where we go to three airports and we have our business uh, the Jackie Long who's a business traveler she she uh, she's the airport insider basically and she'll give tips on the secrets to navigating JFK International Terminal 1 the way the best way to get through TSA places things like that so and certain things on it maximizing points that's all great it's going to be in fine I talked to uh, Instagram influencer um, uh, the points guy He's not interested in doing TV because he makes so much money on Instagram. Oh, right. It's not. He, he would take a pay cut doing regular TV. Oh, wow. Lot. Wow. So that kind of tells you where, I mean, traditional TV, and, and, and it's the same thing in scripted. A lot of these people that we do shows for, they think that there's a big payday in the the unscripted I mean very seldom I mean you get things like the the what were the guys with the weird beards and all that uh, and things like Doc Duck Dynasty Duck, yeah Duck Dynasty you get some of those we get big paydays and, and the Pawn Stars and everything else but most of them the payday is more like uh, the cake guy the cake boss yeah where your businesses just blow up yeah that's you know that Discovery now on a, on a lot of their shows they take a piece of the business that's oh part wow. of their deal yeah okay so so yeah, so that's how that's where the money's at, the growth in the business. Yeah. South Beach Classics, Ted's yeah. business blew up. Yeah. Blew up. Right. Right. That from he got orders from around the world. Yeah. He sold two hundred cars to the Mid East. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, it's big money. One order, two hundred cars. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so where the money's coming from, I mean the linear networks are sure, certainly important. There's no one place. I mean we have the the Netflix and that of the world are buying big, big stuff right now, and hopefully they get down to the smaller stuff that we're doing. Um, so we don't have a lot of experience selling to them. We had one program that was on Hulu, mm-hmm. which was a scripted, which w- it was an interesting uh, adventure, and and it was profitable and all that. So and yeah. we were very proud of what we did on that. So yeah, uh huh. So that's great to hear the depth. Of, of what you do and what you've done. I just have a couple of last points. Okay. Um, we talked about intellectual property, which I think has become more important now than ever. Yeah, it's everything. Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, it's just, I mean, the record business, it's all about publishing rights, keeping your publishing rights and all. And a lot of these, like I, somebody, I, uh, my wife was going, oh, they're being mean to Taylor Swift. They're being mean to Taylor Swift. Going, what do you mean? They gave her $5 million for the publishing rights and now she wants to take them. She has the opportunity to buy them back. They won't be at $5 million. <laughs> That's right. But when yeah. she was spending that $5 million, that initial signing bonus thing, that was a part of it. So, uh, so but that stuff's important. Um, the IP, we're doing a, a interesting, we're developing a show, I think I told you about. A lady left uh, a bunch of money to her, her dog like $80 million. So we're doing a whole, we're developing a show all around that. And um, the IP is very important in that because a show like that, if it takes off, a lot of places will want to be associated with the, the richest pet or animal or something else. And not just pet related. I mean, there's a million yeah. brands what would want to be associated with something like that. I mean, animals are all pets and everything. Those are all good IP things. Feel good story type things. Those are all really good really good so yeah ip is very important and it's hard to keep a lot of it a lot of times um we always have at the end of our interviews a reflective moment and that reflective moment is in the form of two questions okay max weiler 16 year old 16 years old 17 years old if you could go back and talk to the Max Weiler beginning in the industry, what would you tell him? Wow. Well, I mean, it's, I would tell him that relationships are everything and that's it. There's nothing else that's as important as relationships. You got to take the time for the relationships. The Max Weiler 16, 17, it was in too much of a hurry to get work done and not enough time talking to everybody. I don't just mean the people that you think who are important, but everybody. And I've learned that uh, Jim Mandich taught me that about 20 years ago. And now I talk to every single person on the set. I want to hear what they're talking about. And you know what? It makes life better, but it's also good business. It's a double because it makes life better because you get to learn great things about people and, and it calms life down and, and we're, we only get one journey or whatever else, but it's great business because because I don't know how many PAs and whatever else that I was the only person on the set who was so-called maybe important or producer role would even talk to these people. And, or uh, you've been on a lot of sets treated those people badly how yeah. many times have you seen the big egos treat people badly yeah. like that I haven't been on the side of treating people badly but I've seen a lot of oh, you I, know, I, yeah. things so yeah yeah, yeah. egos yeah no it's that's that the relationship thing very very important so I guess that is a dovetail into the second part because relationships that's great advice for anyone but what advice would you give to someone getting into the industry now? Wow. Well, it depends on what what uh, position or what else. And the schools and all that are going to hate this. But I don't think you get a film degree. I tell, I mean, my family, people and everything else who want to get in the business, I, I, I don't get a film degree. I think what you do is you and I, I would get. I like degrees where you get a license or something else, like a teaching degree or some type of nursing degree or medical degree, because there's a lot of people in our business, especially on the talent side, 
who work at restaurants or something or bartend or something to before they get going. Or even on our side, on the technical side, maybe somebody's just beginning as a PA or something, they got a bartend or waitress or waitress or waiter on the side until to, to make ends meet until they get the two years of experience. The magic number, in my opinion, I don't know your opinion, magic number is two years. Solid two years of experience working on a network show or something, you're in. You can then work your way up and go. But that two years is hard to get. Yeah. It's that old catch 22. How do I get the experience if I don't have And how do you experience? even get to the beginning of that two years? So that's yeah, something. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, we talked about that staff from the University of Miami. You're a proud University of Miami grad. I'm a big University of Miami supporter. I grew up in Coral Gables and all that stuff. But it's really, it's really sad that... The huge percentage of the graduates aren't in our business in 10 years. Yeah. And I think that that goes on a school to school basis. You know, it's it, and it's different now because you can get a lot of the information and the, the equipment, you know, has become more accessible and you, the information has become more accessible. So, it, it, you know, it, the industry has changed. But yeah. OK, so so that's one side because your degree is in finance. I finance, think that's what you said. Yes. Yeah. But I, if, in my opinion, being in management in the production companies, you got to get a legal background. You have oh, to. Yeah, I have two attorneys. Oh, so. yeah. Well, but that's expensive. I mean, we spend a fortune on attorneys, but I read contracts. Well, half my yeah. day is reading I mean, contracts. Same, yeah, same thing. You know, you have to know how to read a contract, you know. You want to be able to know how things work before you send it off yeah, and and be able to draft some things before you send it off. You don't want your attorneys to do everything. Then, you know, you're going to be behind the eight ball just paying the legal fees. Um, But what kind of technical advice can you give people or what kind of advice would you give people that, you know, want to get a foothold? Well, I mean, the biggest thing I always see, and this is what drives me crazy. And and I, I don't know how many of my my technical friends are going to hear this, but don't get stuck in your ways. These guys, they get stuck in their ways. I'm an old man and I'm always looking for a new and better way to do it. I'm not afraid of technology. I don't want to, I'm not comfortable in anything. I want the new stuff. And I got 20 somethings working for me who, oh, well, Final Cut 10. I said, Final Cut 10 is done, man. Or Final Cut 10 is lousy. <laughs> you need to go to Premiere. Premiere is what everybody's going to in Avid. Avid and Premiere are the two. Final Cut, no. And they're stuck because that's what they're comfortable with. You right. got to get out of your comfort zone all the time. That's all a the time. great piece of advice. You get out of your comfort to. zone. Oh, and it's a fight. As manager of our, co- of, of that's what my brother and I, our biggest battle is, is stay open-minded. One of the most open-minded guys, I don't know if you know him, he's 89 years old. Irv Rudley. Do you know Irv Rudley? I don't. No. He was a DP back in the good old days in Miami. He he did he worked for Fred Singer, Coronado. I don't know if that name ever rings. It does ring a bell. He's history in this place. I worked with but but uh Irv most open-minded. You think of older people stuck in their ways, old dog doesn't learn new tricks. The guy retired probably at 75 he was still shooting and stuff and all that but retired at 75 and took up portrait painting and i don't mean like i drew a picture and it looks like a stick picture he's given the it really looks great fantastic and before that he was a tumbler and before that he and then i remember when, when cpm computers came out right when the computer right before the internet and all that stuff he goes i'm going to learn how to program a computer and he did so that's the extreme yeah. of staying open-minded and, and doing the things. But 
human nature is 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 a real is real bad for our business being stuck in your ways i mean i've had some employees who were great employees for 10 years but they got i mean during that whole linear edit phase how many people do you know who didn't adapt to that Right. They did not adapt. And I don't mean old people. It means all oh, people say, oh, you're being uh, uh, discriminatory to old people. No, there were some 20 somethings who didn't adapt to that. But you're not. You talked about the 89 year old, you know, like, so you, yeah. that age, you know, disparity, it, it, it really has, you know, no hold in terms of the age. That's been my experience. I mean, you, most people will tell you, I mean, the, the, the nomenclature is old dog, new tricks, and things like that, but it's a, it's a mindset. It is definitely a mindset. And you get and in creative too, you have to do it. I mean, there's a difference between having your look and being stuck. I mean, we have a big competitor in town who's been in for ages, and man, the minute I see his stuff, it's like it's taking me back in time. You can't do that, right? You gotta. I mean, you can have your own look, but you gotta be current. You gotta be current and creative too. And what's the best thing to do? Watch TV. <laughs> I cannot believe how many people in our business are doing it all day long and they don't watch TV. Unbelievable. <laughs> wow. You do movies and all that stuff. I'm, yeah. You got to watch movies. You got, yep. You got and to. I, you know, my students, I tell them the same thing. Some of them are like, oh, no, watch another movie. Yes, you, every day. And same thing, television, because it's become, you know, really one industry. It's, and it's becoming more and more one industry. So I would have to say we have another incredible interview in the bank. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you for inviting me here. I'm, I'm honored, and and I'm you've been in this uh, area for a long time, and, and doing some great work and all. Yeah. So appreciate all you do for the film community. I don't know how you have the patience for it because I certainly don't. <laughs> I, I, I Somebody got to do what it. you do. Yes, you you really are out there fighting for all the filmmakers and creators and everything else. And everybody should be appreciative of that. Thank you very much, and uh, we're going to have you back when you have the next show coming out and we'll maybe we'll go on set we'll go live sounds good to me (laughs) unfortunately it might be in of 20 degrees on a hillside in west virginia or something that might be cool (laughs) that might be nice (laughs) yeah thanks a lot max all right all right thank you okay all right all right, we're back in. That was a great interview, Max Weiler. Yeah, great job, Kevin, once again. Thank you, man. Knocking it out. It wasn't me, though. It was Mr. Max. Yeah, he, he took, took it to it the to max. max. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So you have to uh, check out his shows and um, really uh, pay attention to what he had to say. Yeah, a lot of good good nuggets there, a lot of good information. So Yes. We have a lot more to say, though. We have tons of more stuff to say, but we're going to try to say it quickly. Yeah, there was a commercial that I didn't mention, which was Quibi. Quibi. That company raised a billion dollars to launch. And that was their first push. Ten minutes or less films content on your phone. What do you think about that? How do you think that's going to fly? Well, first of all, with that billion dollars, they just made the Super Bowl budget. So, <laughs> yeah, they did cut a lot of chunk into that budget. Yes, but, but what do you think? The most watched—I mean, that's crazy—the the most watched screen. screen, right? The mobile phone that happened two and a half years ago. What do you think about content made just for that? Well, it's a multi-trillion-dollar industry essentially, and it's only going to grow. So, you know, content on the phones—yes, that is like we've been saying—the number one screen, right? Uh, and you know, the issue with 
cell phone content, you're usually you're on the go, you're moving around. And so you're basically in a situation where short form content is becoming much more valuable. And, you know, companies like Quibi that know how to take advantage of that, you know, obviously we have precedents with YouTube and all these other, you know, for a while you had Vine, you know, with the yeah. six second videos that yeah. didn't work. That was probably too short. <laughs> yeah, maybe, you know, but they burned through a lot of cash. That's yeah, what. yeah, yeah. But the under 10 minutes, I think that's a sweet spot that they're finding in terms of, you know, what the industry would call snackable content. Yeah. I want to pull in intern Andre on this one because he just told me that he watched a movie on his phone on the way to Orlando. Tron Legacy. Intern Andre watched an entire feature-length film on his cell phone. On, on the his way to- phone. How was that experience, Intern Andre? Um, <clears throat> I'd rather, obviously, I'd rather watch it, you know, on the big screen, but, and also on my TV. But, um, no, I mean, it was fine. I downloaded it off of Disney Plus, and it, it was, it was whatever. I think, I think Tron Legacy is very I think it's underrated okay we're gonna have to have have you come back and do a full and give review. us on on Tron Legacy what do you think about Quibi though Quibi it's it's interesting I'm I'm once I saw the the, the Super Bowl commercial I was very interested in seeing what it could be because like you you mentioned earlier Vine I was on Vine all the time when it was big I you're Gen it. Z right yeah I am I am yeah I loved loved Vine um I'm kind of getting into TikTok now because yeah. it used to be just a lot of dancing and it was weird but yeah. now there's it there's, started with musically so yeah yeah and right. now there's a few funny guys on there so it, mm-hmm. it, it, it's it's entertaining now and Quibi kind of looks like the way they're filming it kind of looks like a TikTok it fills up the whole oh screen. really yeah at least that's what the the commercial showed with Chance the Rapper on the phone and yeah do you think that it's gonna work we'll have to see because it looks like a mix of TikTok and YouTube are you gonna watch 10 minute 7 minute 5 minute content I do snackable content I'm in the demographic (laughs) that watches why do you think I called you here intern Andre and when I I'm on YouTube a lot and usually when one of my favorite YouTubers makes a, a crazy long video like 30 minutes to maybe an hour, I kind of get excited. Oh. So 10 minutes to me isn't isn't like, oh, I got to sit down and watch this. So I'm, I'm super interested to see what Quibi is. You heard it from intern Andre. There is curiosity amongst the generation. It's going to work. It's going to totally work. Okay. <laughs> well, if not, they'll just raise another billion dollars and they'll be fine, right? <laughs> yeah, half of that budget went to salaries. There you go. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So. Thank you, Andre. Thank you. No problem. Wait a minute. Isn't that our intern Andre thing? <coughs> we that, forgot. There you go. His, <laughs> his thunder. Oh, his coffee. See, he too. can't take it. He can't take it. <laughs> All right. So, Man. very interesting stuff going on in the world of digital media, as always. And they're pushing into the mainstream, obviously, the Super Bowl being sort of the crux of that. Yeah. Uh, you know, obviously, there were also spots for Disney Plus and some of their upcoming series on Marvel and all that kind of stuff. So definitely the streamers are making the play into the mainstream. And there was some other controversy for the Super Bowl. What a performance. What a performance. J-Lo, Shakira. But some people were incensed. Hips don't lie. First stripper pole ever Ugh. in the Super Bowl. Well, at least there was not a wardrobe malfunction. <laughs> and then, yeah, that's that. That's that's one thing. <laughs> but there are some people that were saying it was over sexualized. 
Yeah, but you know what? It's it's entertainment, right? It it uh, to me, I don't think it crossed much boundaries. No, uh, no, it didn't. It didn't. It was still fun. You know, there were kids involved. You know, it was more about I think just showing that you know it's Miami, it's exotic. You know, obviously, I was saying before I think off mic about you know J Lo's movie is Hustlers, so there's a brand incorporation into her film yeah. and her work on stage that I think is a natural sort of tie-in. So I I didn't see anything wrong with anything of that performance on the on. The other side, I thought it was brilliant. I thought that those ladies just destroyed that show. They man. did. They killed it. They made a great team. Oh, yeah. I hope they do an album together. They should. That should be a collab for sure. We're calling it out. All right. If you're listening, first, we want to have you on the show. Yeah. <laughs> J-Lo and Shakira. That would be an amazing interview. Oof. Yeah. Uh, so we'll we'll have our people get to your people. <laughs> yeah. I think Adam Levine was more sexualized yeah. last year. Not a lot of complaints last year. <laughs> Nobody complained. Yeah. Yeah. So there were some outcries at the BAFTAs. Oh, yeah. Speaking of controversy, uh, so for those of you who, on the other side of the pond, who perhaps are not into American football or maybe watching the BAFTAs. <laughs> and do you know what the BAFTAs are? Yes. Let's tell the audience in case they don't. It's the British Academy Awards. There you go. Essentially. So, yeah, uh, a lot of the usual suspects, let's say, in the nominations, and including Best Actor, where Joaquin Phoenix, Phoenix, oh. Joaquin <laughs> Phoenix did win once again for Joker. He had a mouthful for them. Yeah. He went right. For the diversity juggler. Juggler. Yes. He (laughs) went full joker on him. He went full joker. So he basically said that uh, Hollywood is filled with the industry, intrinsic racism. And it starts with even people like him. You know, he called out the fact that there were no nominees of color in his category, that although he was deeply appreciative of the nomination and the win, that he felt like something needed to be done. And it started with people like himself, that he was partially at fault, but that you really needed to address this sort of intrinsic racism within the Hollywood industry, within the entertainment industry, which is a global industry now. But still, it feels like it's the same group of people that get nominated, that get the wins. And it's starting to feel still very monolithic, even though there seems to have been very active things being made. We talked about the Academy and their diversity push. But is it showing results? Yeah. And we did talk about this because, you know, it is an insular industry. And so a lot of what is produced comes from the top down. And if you look at a lot of the executives, you know, oftentimes, you know, that's not the most diverse cast there. Mm -hmm. And so I think that Joaquin Phoenix was addressing that part of it, as well as, you know, a lot of the producers at the top level. He was addressing that. And I think that, you know, he was talking a lot about just really fulfilling. Right. You know, this push that started about. I would say seven or eight years ago in terms of actualizing the diversity. And I don't think anyone is talking about overcoming the scenario that's happening right now, per se. It's about representation that's representative of the nation. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah. let's see where that goes. Well, it's going to go somewhere. It's definitely if Joaquin says it, it's going to go viral. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. see if, if he does win the Oscar. I'm very curious to see what he's going to say on that platform. <laughs> We're going to see. I mean, even Idris Ilba, he took it to Parliament there. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And he actually uh, and if you all just Google it, Idris Ilba and Parliament, he had a lot to say. And that's across the pond. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of people are talking about it in a lot I of places. 
A lot of buzz. <laughs> Lots of buzz. Um, but I also wanted to talk about global. This industry is affected by many different things. The Corona virus oh, in yeah. China has affected this industry. And, you know, it has not reached pandemic levels. It's still an epidemic. But it's escalating. It's escalating. Unfortunately. And my heart goes out to all the people that are affected by that. I have a cousin that's over there and he's stuck. Oh, no. Yeah, he's stuck there because they're not letting any flights out. Jeez. Yeah. Oh, it's uh, scary. He's not in Wuhan. Right. You know, he's in a different part of China, but still. Wow. It's affecting a lot of people, but it has affected the industry as well. Yeah. I mean, we talk about the global box office and how important the China component is. So, if uh, you know, theaters are closed. You know, I talked about Shanghai Disney and some of the theme parks there being having to close down, you know, which is a big part of Disney's worldwide business model. Certainly. Uh, And they're they're up for their box office, which is up for Disney, period. mm -hmm. But from what I understand, it's going to be a five billion dollar hit. Oof. That's a big hit to yeah. the industry. Yeah. Because Even, they've had to close down theaters. Yeah. Closing down theaters is never a good thing when you're in the industry. Uh, and so, yeah, particularly in terms of the international and the global box office. So we'll see. Hopefully it's something that they can control, that they can, you know, get back and harness in, you know, this this devastating thing that's going on. But, you know, definitely hearts and prayers to the folks over there in China and Asia that are, are dealing with this right now. And obviously for some of our folks that are over there, either visiting or living abroad, that hopefully everyone can find a safe space and, and this gets taken care of. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, certainly. So, you know, we just have to give a little nod to the global situations that are going on. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, back to global situations that are going on, I want to look forward to our guest next week. Oh, but yeah. we're not going to give that, are we? I love yet. that dramatic pause. <laughs> no. Yeah. It's going to be another uh, new guest next week. We're very excited. We're uh, we're going to drop it on you. It's going to be fantastic. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoyed Max. We hope you enjoyed uh, our special guest as well, Sean Gold. Yes. The <laughs> Jeopardy Gold. Gold. Man. <laughs> that was Jeopardy Gold. That was a lot of fun. Of course, intern Andre and, you know, all the great updates. And so another, another week in the can, as they say. There you go. And I have to say, Sean definitely gave a great interview i think what we're going to do is we're going to have a little behind the scenes special edition with sean yeah so you want to listen to that and uh keep feeding into the heat love it it's getting (laughs) hot in here okay until then we'll see you next week kevin sharpley jl martinez boom dolly